Well, good morning, church. A different kind of ambition, part two today. If you're joining us today uh, from the Myerstown campus, we're so glad that you are, are part of things. Hey, well, everybody here, why don't you wave at them? Go ahead, wave. They can't see you, but Myerstown, wave back at us. Thank you, thank you. Uh, actually, we're uh, excited to uh, have Pastor Jerry up at the Myerstown campus today. So uh, if, you, if you're new to us, we are one church, two different locations, and uh, Pastor Jerry is uh, ministering personally with, the, with that uh, group here today. Um, but uh, uh, he asked me if I would take on uh, the task of preaching the second part of the message that he started last week. And so we've been doing the Sermon on the Mount. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking again uh, at uh, something that Jesus has been saying and really continuing the thought of what he's been saying uh, through, through uh, the topic here today. Now, the topic is anxiety. I'm a little anxious about teaching about anxiety. And that's because it's a complex topic. Anytime we begin to deal with emotions, there's a complexity to it. Uh, there's nothing that's just straightforward about emotions. There's multiple layers that happen there. And in the world that we live in today where everybody's anxious, and by the way, you're not unique. All throughout history, it's been that way too. But where we have a significant focus on anxiety, uh, I realize that there's a difficult task ahead of me here today particularly because the underlying philosophy of at most religions today, including Christianity, is something called moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, we're not going to do a whole seminar on that here today, but the bottom line is we tend to think every religion teaches you should be a good person. Uh, we tend to solve our problems through therapy of some nature, and we think deistically that God has made something, but he's not actively involved in it. And what we're going to find here today is that Jesus begins to teach and help us see that that's not actually, those things are not actually true. And yet, we have to deal with the fact that there's anxiety. And I need some help with that. And Jesus wants to give some help to us here today. And so I want to start with a story of a friend of mine who actually told this to me just at the end of the week. He was driving last week in one of those big rainstorms. Anybody been a part of a rainstorm recently? And, uh, and driving through one of the big rainstorms at night. And as he was driving, he suddenly looked over and he realized a car was beside him. Now, the problem is he was driving down where one lane goes one way, the other lane goes the other way, so a car shouldn't be beside unless they're passing, but it's like torrential rain, and it's dark, and suddenly there's this car beside him that veers off the road, hits the curb, and, and crashes. So they stopped, and they come back, and, and there's a woman there. Uh, the word was freaking out, shaking, hyperventilating. She says, I have anxiety and thunderstorms. And while I have compassion for this woman in thunderstorms, those are scary things, it's interesting to see what, where she was. She was saying, I have anxiety, and it's caused me now to drive in the wrong lane, 
and then off the road and into the ditch. And, and, and here's the thing, if we don't have a right understanding of how to deal with our anxiety, I think that that's a great metaphor Love in life. We can actually be going through life and suddenly find ourselves in the wrong lane, going the wrong direction, and, and potentially in the ditch. And Jesus doesn't want you to be there. And so he's taught here today about this issue of anxiety. Now, here's the deal. I know it's, it's you're, everybody's going to be attention, paying attention to this message because we all struggle with it, right? We, we all struggle with it, worry and anxiety. We all find comfort in places other than God when things are hard. And, and the reality is we're never going to have a trouble-free life. So we, we've put together a whole vocabulary about this, right? We fret. We are discontent. We obsess. We stress out, we feel angsty, we worry, we fear, we sense, have a sense of loss of control, we're over-concerned, we're panicked, we're restless, we're insecure. Our experience of anxiety often is this heavy chest, the tight back, gastrointestinal issues, racing thoughts, we fixate, we have tunnel vision, we're sick, we lose our appetite, we hyperventilate, we're sleepless, my mouth is dry, I melt down, I'm agitated, I can't turn off my mind and my emotions. Today we're going to be looking at Jesus' teaching about those things. He's been preaching the gospel of his kingdom. We understand the Sermon on the Mount is, is one of the main records of his preaching about the kingdom that he has initiated and inaugurated and begun by his coming. And as he's taught us about this, he, he says, you're going to live differently. And we went through a whole, uh, whole list of beatitudes. We've, we, last summer, we preached through them. This summer, we take in a little bit more look at, look at them. But then it, basically, Jesus goes on to continue to say, you're going to have a different kind of impact if you live this way. You're, you're going to have uh, a different understanding of what's great and what's ultimate and what's supposed to happen. You're going to have different standards and different commitments and different love and different motivation. And then last week, Jerry started teaching us that he begins to warn us about our ambition. We should have a different kind of ambition, was the warning that began last Sunday. Jesus talked about it by talking about two different kinds of treasures, two different kinds of eyes, two different kinds of masters. And in all of that, he was saying, Jesus needs to be prioritized and valued above all else. And today, what we're going to find is when we begin to do Jesus and something, when I say, no, 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 I'm all for Jesus, but I'm also, like, I have some other things I'm really going for here, some things I'm really relying on. When we do Jesus and, it's what brings anxiety. And we need to learn really what I think is the main message of these verses that we're going to see here today, that God is going to take care of his, us, so we should put our trust completely in him. If, if we follow the right treasure, the right, if we have the right kinds of eyes towards things, the right master, that's going to bring peace. When we stop focusing on our fears and begin to focus on the Father, it's going to be different. The wrong kind of ambition leads to anxiety, but a different kind of ambition, the one that he's really trying to get us to, this single-mindedness in believing and trusting in Jesus Christ, that's going to give us freedom from worry and anxiety. 
So let me read the text here this morning to help us maybe see what Jesus' words are, and then, then we'll come back and we'll go through it bit by bit. If you're looking at Matthew chapter 6, let's start at verse 25 and read down to 34. It says this, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they're neither, but they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. For those who treasure heaven, remember last week? For those who treasure heaven, who have righteous ambition, you're going to have peace. But those who treasure earthly things or add earthly things into the treasure, you're going to worry. And we need to understand a little bit about this thing called worry because, again, I told you, it's a little bit complex. And so let's piece, take apart some of the pieces of complexity so that we know what we're talking about here today. The definition for anxiety in the, in the dictionary is simply a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. That's just the description of anxiety. And you might be thinking, wait a second, that, that's, that's not wrong, right? It's not wrong to have a feeling of worry, nervousness, or disease about imminent events that we don't really, aren't really in control of, right? There's just uncertainty. Is, is it really wrong to worry and be anxious in this way? What we see here is that Jesus is teaching about anxiety, telling us, do not be anxious about your life, but Part of what adds to the complexity is, as I read the Bible, I see Jesus in some anxious moments. We're going to touch on that even just in a little moment, in a little bit. Today, he's going, telling us and teaching us not to worry, not to trust, not trusting the faithfulness of God is wrong. When we struggle in these ways, we actually, uh, that struggle is actually coming from deep down inside of us, and, and, and we have this... Uh, this metrics that we use here, if, you're, if you come and you talk to anybody in soul care, if you've done soul care training or you've gotten count, spiritual counsel from any of our pastors, we talk about how we have four hearts. Now, you only have one in your body, right? But there's these four driving things, these motivations that we talk about. There's this pride and foolishness and fear. We're going to talk about that today. And despair. And so we have to think a little bit about uh, what is the core of this fear, this anxiety that's going on, and, uh, and to see this, I, I, I think we have to wrestle with the fact that some of us grew up hearing that emotions should just be suppressed and pushed down, and we shouldn't really talk about them and, and, and just trust Jesus. And I would just tell you that's an insufficient answer, 
as, even as we begin to see things here today, I, I, not trusting Jesus, that, that, that's totally sufficient, but, but just trust Jesus in the midst, like there's some complexity we have to deal with there, right? And, and then there's other people on the other side of the spectrum that are like, it, it's like, we just, just go to therapy, just go to your counselor, and, and just go to your doctor, and, 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 and you just fall into this pattern of always going to counselors and always going to doctors and never dealing with what Jesus teaches. What I began to find is, as I dealt with this, is that Jesus is talking about a particular kind of anxiety, and there's actually multiple kinds of anxiety. You know that, right? Uh, let me just kind of uh, evaluate. I got this out of an article from the Gospel Coalition that talked about how there's actually four different kinds of anxiety. For, number one is this. We all have God-given fear. God-given in the sense that God has given us emotional responses for our benefit. And so there, we, we are anxious sometimes because that's, that's supposed to be telling us something. It's supposed to be directing us in a, in a particular way. Uh, we get anxious at times when we encounter danger, and that's a good thing. Jesus isn't saying that when danger happens, you should just be so full of boldness and courage that you never get anxious. That's not what he's going to be saying today because that's not sin. God created that, and that's a good thing. There's a story of a woman who lives in Alaska, and her dog was barking, and, and she got up to figure out what the dog was barking up, and she walked around uh, outside, and, and, she was in, and she encountered a mama moose. That's a thousand pounds of mama with her little baby, okay? There is a good reason to get fearful and anxious at that moment. God put that in us, and she should protect herself, and she should be praying, Right? So there's these God-given responses to harm, but, but there's a second thing. There's, there's a physical-driven fear that we have. There's a physiological response that is not sinful that, that happens to us because life is broken. For example, if, you, if you've experienced a war zone, it's not uncommon to have anxiety later in life because you were at a spot where the brokenness of the world was on full display and you had to deal with that in some way, and now you're still having to deal with those things because there's a physiological response in you. That's not wrong. Just because you lose sleep and you're, you're not able to have unanxious moments, those, those things are, are there because the world is broken. I would just tell you that if you're here today and you're experiencing those things, we just continue to affirm, listen, come talk to some, one of our pastors in soul, soul care. Go get some sort of clinical help that is needed if that's appropriate. Talk to your doctor when that happens. But Jesus is not telling you not to do those things. There's a third kind. It's the consequence-driven fear. And the consequence-driven fear is the natural consequence of sin. You might get anxious if you're committing adultery, and that's a good thing. That's a right thing. And it should be telling you, I'm doing some things that I shouldn't be doing, and the natural consequence is that you feel anxiety. You, you've been gambling, you've, you've been not responsible in the things that you're supposed to do. It, listen, that will cause anxiety, and you might be trying to treat that in a way that is different than what Jesus wants to deal with even here today. And that leads to our fourth kind. The fourth kind is doubt-driven fear. A, a doubt-driven fear is a sinful response to God's providential care. This is really what Jesus is talking about in the passage here today. He's not saying that you should never have a God-given fear. He's not saying that you should never have physically driven fears. I do think he's saying that consequence-driven fear is calling you to something different, to repentance. 
And then when we have doubt-driven fear, I think that's really the target. I think we get right focused into what he's trying to get us to see here today when he says, don't be anxious about your life. Three times, three times in this passage, he says, don't be anxious. And he's talking about this kind of anxiousness, this doubt-driven anxiousness that comes because I'm not trusting in God's providential care. Jesus doesn't want, to, want you to suffer from anxiety. Jesus doesn't want you to be worried all the time. And so he teaches us about anxiety, what it is and what causes it, and then ultimately how we can not be in that place. So let's look at this here together today, and, and let me just say this. We're going to look at three different aspects. The, the, the first one is this. When we are called, we are called to a different kind of ambition so that we can declare the reason for anxiety. What, we've, what we're finding here is that when we are pursuing ambitions other than the single-mindedness of Jesus Christ that he taught us in the previous pa- passage, in the previous verses, it's going to cause anxiety, and we need to declare the reason for that anxiety. We need to, to be able to identify that and understand that. Uh, listen, you can't fix it if you don't understand it. So understanding anxiety according to Jesus starts in verse 25. Look at it. It says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Jesus is saying kind of the same thing that he just said up in verse 19. He says, don't pursue two different kinds of treasure. There's, a, there's an earthly treasure that you could pursue that if you were to try to do that, that, that would actually be the wrong way. So you remember what Jerry did last week, right? He's been using these, these buckets and he says, listen, if we're, if we're pursuing the treasures, these earthly treasures, if we're trying to do these things, what the passage is actually going to tell us here today is, as I try to pursue these things, it's going to cause anxiety. These earthly treasures that I'm pursuing are not going to satisfy. They're ultimately going to be empty, and it's actually going to demonstrate that there's something wrong with my worship. We're going to see that here in just a second. Instead, it says that, that we should be trusting God, and, and that's really putting the treasures in, into, the, into the heavenly things. We should be filling our bucket with them. This is what should be constantly what we're trying to focus on when it comes to our lives. I just wanted to make the mess too, okay? <laughs> Jesus says, do not worry. He, he says, when you do this, you're going to end up in worry. Don't worry about your life. When you try to make sure this is what I'm going to eat today and this is what I'm going to drink and these are my clothes and you try to do this independent of him, it's what causes us to lose it all. The anxiety happens because we're afraid the bottom is going to fall out. When Jesus says, don't be anxious here, he's actually using a word that says, don't be overly anxious. It's interesting. If you look at the actual Greek and the understanding of what's going on here, he's not saying, don't ever worry about something. He's saying, don't fixate on it. Don't continue to try to figure it out because you're constantly losing it. In all of this, Jesus actually is saying, if you are worrying, you have a problem with trust you're not trusting me. You're not trusting that if you pursue all these things that I'll take care of the rest. Oftentimes, what we say is, God, I don't trust you. 
I don't trust your competence. I don't trust that you have my best in mind. And I believe that I know better. I don't think that you know better. I I think I know better. I think that these are the things, listen, I'm on earth right now. I'm not in heaven. So I got to make sure that these things actually are there. The result is instead of peace that we're nervous and we're worrying Jesus already taught us back in the previous section, it's incompatible to have two masters. You can't say that you trust God and be constantly worrying, constantly over-anxious, not trusting in God's providential care. It's incompatible. It doesn't work. And that happens because we doubt God. We doubt certain things about God that he identifies right here in this passage. We, had, we doubt three things. The first is this. Anxiety is an outward evidence that I doubt God's created design. Look at what it says in ver- at the end of verse 25. It says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is using an, ar- an argument that goes from light to heavy. What he's saying is, since God has given you life, which is more than food, and, the, and a body, which is more than clothing, won't God take care of the lesser things of food and clothing if he made you? And yet, if we focus on these lesser things, we'll fail to trust God for both our body and those things, and life will be miserable. Anxiety, secondly, is an outward evidence that I doubt God's character. Look at verse 26. It says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He says, consider the birds. They don't farm. They don't have barns. And yet the Father feeds them, and and, and they're happily chirping and taken care of, and we need to learn from them. We need to learn from the lesser about us who are greater. In Genesis, we see that God creates animals. We're going to have a whole series about Genesis coming, right? And and the animals are good. And God cares so much for animals that he made humans to care, to have dominion over them. And yet in the midst of all of this, it's important that we don't get us messed up that human beings are more valuable to God than animals because God gave us his image, God gave us dominion, and God gave us his son, things that he didn't give to the animals, right? And we are more valuable as a result of that. The point here is you are more valuable than the birds and the birds are completely taken care of so you don't need to worry. But I love what he says here, too, when he talks about the father, because he doesn't call the father the bird's father. Technically, he is, okay? He created them. But notice what he said. Look at the birds. They sow, reap, da 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 And yet, your heavenly father feeds them. That's an important marker in this passage, that you see that God is your heavenly father. He's not just the father of the birds. He's the father for you. He's your heavenly father, and he, as a father, loves you as a child. And fathers' greatest instincts are to take care of their children. And God wants to take care of you. 
Jesus is saying here that the Father takes a direct interest into the lives of his creation, beginning with the birds and ultimately with us as human beings. He doesn't just provide the food, but he also is actively involved. You almost get the picture that like it's his hands that they're eating out of. God is not aloof. He's not uninvolved in the world. It's not deism where God just kind of created things and let it go on its way. He's actively involved in your life right now. Say, Pastor, it just doesn't feel like that right now. Trust me, I've been there many times. It's a really hard place to be. But it's the place where we get to begin to exercise faith. Not what I see, not what I feel, but what God says. Here's the third thing. Anxiety is an outward evidence that I doubt God's care. He says, consider the lilies. Go down, go down here into verse 28. It says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he not clothe you? Consider how the grass, which is temporary and not very important in life, has all the clothes that it could possibly need. By the way, better than any wealthy king could possibly provide for himself or anybody else. I mean, that's what Solomon was, right? You remember in the Old Testament, Solomon was like, it's like the king who is the wealthiest and has everything in this life. And and that's the illustration that Jesus uses here. Even somebody who has everything in their life who could make or get any clothes that they wanted, they aren't nearly as well-dressed as the grass with the flowers. I don't stop and smell the roses often, but when I do... He's right, he's right, he's right. They're amazing, they're awesome, right? And Jesus is saying, listen, the Father provides better clothes than the, than the wealthy can provide for themselves to the grass. So how much more is he going to provide for you because he cares for you? Now, tucked in, the, in between all of this is verse 27. We kind of skipped over it. And it talks about the uselessness of worry. Look at it. It says in verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Jesus is reminding us something we probably already know. The truth is we're not able to add to our life by worrying. It always is a subtraction, right? And Jesus uses this idea of adding a single hour. The word is actually literally, literally a linear measure, a cubit, which is about 18 inches. How could you add 18 inches to your life, is what he's saying, by worrying? You can't. God's sovereignly in control of all of that. He knows exactly how long you're going to live. You don't have to worry about how long you'll live. He knows exactly how long you're going to live. You can't add 18 inches to your life. You can't add any amount of time to your life by worry. Stress over our well-being and security and life doesn't have the power to prolong it or secure it in any way. In fact, science has informed us that it actually shortens our lives. So what Jesus is saying all throughout here is that the Lord takes care of his creation and he's going to take care of you. Do you believe it? Can you trust him in that? 
Let me ask a question. Why do you get anxious? Could you declare it right now, why you get anxious? Just as an act of faith building right now, can you confess to Jesus, this is why I don't trust in your providential care? You're in church. It's good to, confession's good at church. Can you tell him, this is why I'm a worry wart. This is why I get stressed out. God, I'm seeing that you created worry, you created anxiousness. There's God-given reasons for that, but this is why I go over and above and beyond what you've created. God, help me with the physical responses to worry that I'm manifesting. I can't sleep at night. I'm jittery. I drink coffee all the time. God, I'm continuously anxious and worry. And I think this is why. Can, can you show me, God? Could you show me more? Could you show me more about why that is? Do you understand why you worry and why you get stressed out? And can you bring it to the Lord in faith and say, God, this is why. Can you help me with it? It leads us to a second thing here this morning. We need to not only declare what makes us anxious. We need to dig out the root of worry. We need to, to, to dig deep into why I actually worry, which we've just been exploring, but Scripture actually tells you why. Did you catch it already, by the way? Look at verse 30 again. It says, but God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do you see the reason why we worry? It says right there, you have little faith. By the way, O, when you read it in the Bible, is supposed to be like, here, get your attention. There's something important that's being said here. O is not just like some breath of word that happens there. It's like, this is really important. So when it says, O, you of little faith, Jesus is saying the reason here for your anxiousness and your worry is little faith. It's a small amount of faith. The root of anxiety is that we trust something or someone more than we trust God. And remember, we just heard in the previous message, you can't serve God and another master. You can't trust somebody else's view of life and God's view through your eyes. You can't have other treasures and the treasure of God. That duality will actually cause a conflict within you, which will result in anxiety. So Jesus says here, I don't want you to be anxious, O you of little faith. The reason you're anxious is that you have little faith. Now, a little bit of a check, by the way, about your relationship with God here as we look at this this morning. When you read the, the words, oh, you of little faith, what voice did Jesus have? Was it an accusatory, oh, you of little faith? Come on, get your faith bigger, get your faith up. I don't think that's actually how he was doing it. He's your father. 
He's not treating you as an orphan. He's treating you as a child. And as a child who, when you see your child lack something and need something, your heart breaks for them. And yes, you give them the instruction and tell them the truth about how to be different in all of that. But, but can you not see that, like Jesus is putting his arms around you when he says, oh, you of little faith. He's saying, I want you to have more faith. I'm not teaching this as, don't be worrisome, you're anxious, you're wrong. He's saying, come on, little child. (laughs) I I can teach you, if you can identify really what's going on here, I can actually show you how to grow your faith. That's what he's actually trying to do here today. So I want you to see this because Jesus is actually pointing to something that's actually right at the core of what's going on here that's kind of a little bit painful to actually have revealed and yet really necessary and, and really helpful. I want you to see that there's a connection between anxiety and idolatry. When we worry, we are replacing God with a lesser God that we're going after. The fact of the matter is, idolatry is beneath all sin. Martin Luther did some excellent work in the Reformation, helping us understand that the Ten Commandments begin with the command not to have any idols. And why is it that the first command is not have any idols? It's because the fundamental motivation for every sin is idolatry. We never break all the other commandments without breaking this one first. For example... Lying. Why do we lie? We're not supposed to lie. And we would not unless we first made something more important and valuable in our heart than God. It could be It could be that it's the human approval. It could be my reputation. It could be power over other people. But the fact of the matter is, the reason I told that lie is is because there's something controlling my worship and my heart other than God, and so that's why I did it. So we need to dig out the root of anxiety. We need to dig out what is actually going on underneath my anxiety. I need to identify what that is, and I need to identify the idol that's controlling it so I stop worshiping it and get my eyes on Jesus. So idolatry, by the way, it's not merely bowing down to a statue or a piece of wood. Tim Keller has done some excellent work about idolatry, and he sums it up in this way. He says this, when you look at some created thing to give you what only God can give you, that is idolatry. An idol is anything in your life that is so central to your life that you can't have a meaningful life if you lose it. So how do you identify what that is? How can we figure out what that is? Well, I think there's three questions that are actually very clarifying in giving the answer here. How can I identify the idol in my life? Number one, what do I enjoy daydreaming about? It's kind of that simple. (laughs) What do I enjoy daydreaming about? What do I enjoy just kind of fantasizing could happen? That would be awesome if it did. You see, our strongest affections are really what identifies what our idols are. When something begins to absorb our heart and our imagination, when I can't get my eyes off, man, that house would be awesome, or man, if I could redecorate to be just like that, or, or what if I could actually have a relationship like this, and, and, and man, I can't wait to do the vacation of my dreams. Many times, 
Listen, none of those things are wrong in and of themselves, but when we begin to give it value and worth and be, it begins to be something that we idolize, then we have an idol. Here's a second question. What do you spend your money on? Nobody likes this one. And by the way, I'm not asking for you to show me your checkbook, okay? But I'm asking you to think about what you spend your money on because that identifies idolatry. What treasures, all the way back to here, what kind of treasures are you storing up? Your, church, your checkbook tells you, your bank account tells you if you're putting loads and loads into this or if you're actually putting things into the treasures in heaven. Clothing, status symbols, All of those things begin to point to what might actually be controlling our worship. And then here's the last question, what do you fear? Not just what do you want and not just what are you actually actively spending on, but what do you fear? (laughs) What do you get anxious about? I mean, anxiety is actually, by the way, a good thing in the sense that it begins to mark for me what my idol actually is. Man, if I lost my kids, I could never believe God anymore. That's a really tempting one. But what's the idol? What is actually worshiping and on the throne of your heart at that moment? It's your kids. When you pray and you don't get the response that you want, how do you respond? When you get angry at God, when there's tears and you're like, I'm such a loser, he's rejecting me, that's an indicator of what's on your heart. Emotions, by the way, are the crumbs that, to lead to what you idolize. And when you follow the crumbs of your negative emotions in particular, they identify what your idol actually is. So I brought a little chart here today to help us with idols because the reality is we, we actually have some, there's all sorts of things that can be an idol, but underneath all of that are actually some really core things. Now, I'm not saying these four are the only things, but I'm telling you that many times what you're idolizing actually leads back to one of these things. And so there's the idol of power and there's the idol of approval and comfort and control. You see that up on the left, right? These are the things that many times we treasure. It's the things that we're seeking, the thing that things that the idol actually is. Now, this chart is intended to help you identify what is your idol, but what I want you to do is look at the very bottom down on the right here, and we're just going to follow the line across here. Do you see anxiety is the problem emotion? That's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about here today. When I fret, when I stew, when I'm distressed, and oh, oh, by the way, your four hearts, (laughs) anger, fear, despair, foolishness, they're all involved in those things, whichever yours is, okay? But when there's anxiety, when that's your problem emotion, what ends up happening is your greatest nightmare becomes that you're uncertain about life and you don't want to be uncertain about life and you feel out of control and that temporary sense of falling is so messing with you on the inside that you get over-anxious, not God-anxious, over-anxious to the point where it's actually pointing to something. Notice to what it's pointing to here, what we seek, what the idol is, it's control. Why am I so frustrated the project is not going the way I envisioned? Why, after managing all the details, is it not working out? Why are team members quitting and moving away? Why is this uncertainty here when I've worked so hard not to be uncertain? And we're devastated by that. And the reason is because my idol isn't doing its job. 
little helpful tip here. That's because an idol is a false god. It's fake. So you're trying to use something that's a figment of your imagination, control, instead of trusting God. And that's damaging, not just to you, but to many others around you. Tim Keller also tells a story of a woman named Anna. She desperately wanted to have children, but couldn't for many years. Eventually, she had two healthy kids, but her dreams did not come true. Her overpowering drive to give her kids a perfect life made it impossible for them to enjoy life and her to enjoy them. She became overprotective, fearful, anxious, needing to control every detail of life, ultimately made family life miserable. Her idol was this perfect family, but it didn't deliver because idols don't satisfy and they all cause all sorts of emotional issues within us, anxiety in her and in her kids. This is a live, real case, by the way. She was ruining her kids' lives, not because she loved her kids too much, but rather loved God too little in relation to them. Augustine, one of the great church forefathers, talks about how when we get love out of order, what it does, and he came up with this statement that that I would just summarize and say is, is really helpful in understanding this whole thing. He said this, love little things little, medium things medium, big things big, and ultimate things ultimately. The problem is in Anna's life that she's loving a big thing, her kids, ultimately. And the result is that her kids are crushed under the weight of her expectations. Now, there is a good ending to the story. After some spiritual counsel and some help from God's word, she says this, if I really knew God's love then I could accept less than perfect kids and I wouldn't be crushing them. If God's love meant more to me than my children, I could love my kids less selfishly and more truly. What's the root of your anxiety? What's the idol that is driving it? It's always important to ask, what is the sin beneath the sin? What is the thing that's out of order here, but really under here is the thing that's really driving it? You might be very concerned for your health, but feeding your control idol. You might really be concerned for beauty, and it be an approval idol. You might really want success, and it's power. You might want space, and it's really a comfort idol. You might want family and it might be approval of others. You might be really concerned about all of these things, but what's driving it underneath? All of these things stem from idols, but you got to realize idols never deliver. They never satisfy. They never bring joy and they always create anxiety. And the root of that is unbelief. Unbelief about God. What are you trusting other than God, or maybe even more than God. But I love what Jesus says, O you of little faith, not in accusation, not in anger, but rather in love. 
If you have little faith, Jesus is saying, don't focus on your fears, focus on your Father. We need to depend, here's the third thing today, depend on the remedy for anxiety. We have to depend on what God wants to use to fix the problem of anxiety, of not trusting Him. And number one, it's this, you need to begin to live loved. When you are living in an anxious state, you are living as unloved. You are saying, I don't trust my heavenly father. I'd rather live like an orphan in control of my own life than trust him and be in his family. But the remedy is to live love, to trust the Father to provide what you need. Look at verse 31. It says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall I eat? What shall I drink? What shall I wear? Same questions as at the, at the top, right? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. When he says the Gentiles, he's saying unbelievers. Unbelievers act like they don't have a father and try to be independent and get all of these things for themselves. So they're workaholics, and they're trying to fill their bucket in earthly treasures because they don't believe the father said that if you do all of this, I'll take care of this. Idolaters seek after, seek after food and drink and clothes and just the basic necessities of life. That's their concern. That's what they get worried about. But those who trust in me, those who have a loving relationship with the Father, realize I can rest in the love of my Father and I don't have to worry about this because my Father knows all of these things. My father knows all my needs. One commentator said, this, said it this way, worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. And practical atheism drives us to try to take control of our own destinies. But he's saying here, not you, not you. Oh, you of little faith, your part. Remember, Jesus is speaking on the mountain to a group of believers who have faith. It's just their faith is too small to overcome their worry. And he's saying, oh, you of little faith, I want to teach you here that if you just rest in my love and trust that I'll take care of all the things that make you anxious and worried about, I will take care of it. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said earlier, has arrived, and I'm the king, and if you'll let me be king of your heart, I'll take care of all the details. Really, the remedy here is that the rule of king, the king Jesus in my heart is what will replace the anxiety that is there at the moment. Here's the second thing. Sell out. <laughs> Sell out to Jesus and what he's saying here. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. This is the most famous verse of this passage. Verse 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. What's it mean to seek the kingdom? Well, from the context, the kingdom is where God's good life-giving will is done and the Father is truly known and enjoyed. If you would seek after God's goodness and his life-giving ways of going about life and your trust in him as the Father, as part of the family of the Father, you will be seeking kingdom things. We must learn to live as if God is actively present because he is, because he is. He's right here. 
I will be with you, he says, over and over in the Bible. So many times, one of the most common commands in the Bible is fear not. But here, help me, uh, help me kind of get the rest of the verse. Fear not because, shout it out, fear not because I am with you. Over and over and over and over in God's Word, you must recognize that when I'm feeling that anxiousness and those moments of worry and my chest is tight and I can't sleep, God is with you. And if you would sell out to His purposes, if you would go after His purposes, He will take care of the anxiety that's within you. So many times our focus is, God, take care of my problem and then I'll seek your purpose. But notice what the verse is saying. The verse is saying that you should be saying, God, how can I serve your purpose as I go through this problem? George Mueller said this, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of, tr- of faith is the end of anxiety. He's not wrong. If you're here today and you're like, man, God, I just need some help with anxiety, he got it right. Faith is the beginning of no longer being anxious. When we believe our lives are truly in his hands, when I seek to live and abide and pursue him, I can trust the creator's character to care for me. Is that not what we just learned in the first point? The remedy here is that we pursue God's priorities. Right ambition leads to peace. When we seek the things on God's heart, He will take care of the things on our heart. Here's the last thing. Be present. Look at verse 24. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Be present and leave the future in His hands. So many times I'm trying to worry about something that's in the future. I couldn't, listen, I don't even know what tomorrow holds. How could I possibly know? I don't know what the next hour holds. Why am I spending time on that? Well, we've got the answer. It's unbelief. It's little faith. It's not living loved. It's not pursuing God's purposes. Here, lastly, we need to realize God is telling us, be present. Since we can trust that by seeking the Father, we will be receiving continually His care, we are freed now to live in the moment and leave the future in His hand. As you read, as I've been going through this, I thought about how this sermon could maybe increase some anxiety. Except if you hear Jesus' tone in his teaching, which I've already tried to help you see here. He's not trying to make you more anxious. He's trying to help you with your anxiousness. And I love how he does it here in this verse. Think about this for a second in this verse. As he's talking about how it's sufficient for today is, is its own trouble, what is Jesus actually acknowledging? He's saying every day has trouble. Every day. And every day, next day, and next day, and Tuesday, and Thursday, and next week, they're all going to have their troubles. He's acknowledging that it makes sense to worry. We live in a troubled world. 
And the longer we live, we see there are no guarantees and that life is fragile and we're all going to struggle with worry. But Jesus also becomes an important part of how we deal with our worry. Hebrews 2.17 says, 2, says this, Therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect. That's you and me so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus was made like us in every way. He was made without sin and he committed no sin, but in every other way he can identify with our struggling and I would say even more so because he became human. He understands now our struggle. He understands our struggle with anxiety and worry. He's experienced more sorrow than any person in this room and all of us combined. And he's promising to be empathetic towards us in our own stress and anxiety. Oh, you little faith, let me teach you. Trust in me. Single-minded focus on me. Put your trust on me. Depend on me. Now, earlier I told you that Jesus experienced anxiety. In Matthew 26, it says Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. You know what happened there, right? And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began, here it is, to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. He does that two more times, and Luke records in Luke twenty-two forty-four that as in the second time, as that was happening, he was sweating. Have you ever been so anxious that you're sweating? Yeah, but not like this. He was sweating drops of blood. But that wasn't his most anxious moment. Scripture only records one time from his, from his arrest to his death that Jesus cried out in a loud voice. In Matthew 27, 44, as Jesus bore the weight of our sin on his shoulders, his father looked away, causing the suffering servant to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He promised never to leave us or forsake us. And he did that because he took on that experience and, and experienced the fullness of anxiety in that moment as he suffered the pain of paying for each one of our sins together all at the same time on the cross. The greatest anxiety is living and dying separated from God. But because Jesus was separated when he paid the price for your sin, you can live sold out to the care of your creator. That's going to take you depending on him. That's the remedy to anxiety. What makes you anxious? I don't know what it is, but I know what the answer is. Jesus wants you not to be anxious, and he's teaching you, depend on me, trust on me, put your full weight of trust on me, put all of your treasures in me, and I'll take care of the rest. God will take care of his people 
so we can put our trust fully on Him. Is there anywhere that you need to do that today? Sermons aren't meant to be just inactively listened to. As the Spirit of God does something in you through the Word of God, it's prompting a response in you that if you would let God take full control of, He wants to use. So what's He want to do right now in you? How's He want you to respond? Let's ask Him. God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do in us right now? As we've listened to your word, Lord, you don't want us just to know something. You want us to respond to what's there. So God, what do you want to do in us? We know that you want us to understand anxiety because you don't want us to be anxious. And we know that at the root of all of that is this idolatry of, of, of control and not trusting in you. Lord, do you want us to repent? Lord, maybe, we, we, maybe you've been helping us see that and we've been asking for you over and over and over and over, but God, we haven't replaced our desire not to be anxious with a desire for you. We haven't sought you and your kingdom. Lord, are you calling us to something in that? Lord, as you speak to each and every heart and mind here today, would you help us to respond in faith and trust? Lord, our ambition, our treasure is you. Rip out anything that would take away from that and help us to be wholeheartedly, single-mindedly, radically focused on you in this. And then, Lord, do it over and over and over again. Help us to learn what it is to trust you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.